Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Making fuel to launch yourself across space or the air is a pretty difficult business. Now, creating jet fuel to launch planes across the sky can be pretty carbon intensive. Is there a way we can clean that up? Plus, if we want to go to Mars and then come back again, we need an efficient way to produce fuel to launch rockets from the surface and bring people back from the surface of Mars. In countless science fiction stories and in science fiction video games, traveling across space can be relatively easy. Yes, games like Kerbal will make it more complex by introducing things like serious physics, orbital mechanics, and of course the dreaded Delta V. But the reality of space travel is always so much harder and more difficult than we see in science fiction, television shows, movies, books, or even in games. And that's because space travel is very slow, everything's trying to kill you, and there's nothing there for you to use. You have to bring it all yourself. That means space travel is time-consuming, expensive, and difficult. Now, even the simple task of going to another planet, and I say simple rather, you know, facetiously, because it's not simple at all. Even if we were to, say, get to Mars, we have to do a very long journey to get there, and we have to land safely in a place that's safe and not destabilized when we land on it so we'd have to use a mechanism like the sky crane to gently land on the martian surface and even if we're able to survive and have enough food and water and oxygen to get through that and survive the dust storms that do occur there you wanted to come back from mars return from the surface well then you have to leave the martian orbit and escaping from the surface of mars is just as difficult as it is escaping the surface here on earth But unlike Earth, in Mars you don't have all of the substantive infrastructure that helps you produce the fuels and the technology you need in order to escape the surface. Escaping the surface of Mars requires a lot of energy and a lot of fuel, more or less, to actually be able to launch yourself off that plane of the Martian soil and up back into orbit. Then of course you need to burn even more fuel to reorient your orbit and propel yourself back to Earth. So all of these things make space travel so difficult. And the thing is, you have to bring it all with you. If you were to transport all of the fuel you need to get from here to Mars and back again, you need around 30 tonnes of methane and liquid oxygen. Now, the material cost of that alone, and by material cost, I'm talking about the cost to get it into orbit, is around $8 billion. That's crazy it's a huge amount of cost and effort and energy spent in order to get the fuel that you're just going to burn and that's where researchers like nasa are trying to find ways to cut down on this expensive energy because all of that fuel you have to carry with you out of earth's gravity well into orbit then on the way to mars land on mars and lift it up again on the way back it's pretty wasteful so how can you make this more efficient And that's what exactly what researchers from the Georgia Institute of Technology have been diving into. Now, first author on this particular paper is Nick Creel, and it was published in the journal Nature Communications, but other authors include Ralph Sun Gonzalez and Peralta Yaha. Now, this team of researchers working across different departments, including aerospace engineering, chemistry department, you name it, 
are all trying to solve this problem of how to make a fuel on Mars rather than lugging it with you all the way from Earth. And there's a couple of different ways you could approach this problem. If you could make a fuel on Mars, a Martian rocket fuel, well, you don't need to then carry it with you from Earth, which means not only do you not have to carry it with you on this large journey across the solar system, you also, and this is the dangerous and expensive part, don't need to lift it off the Earth's surface. So what could you do to produce a rocket fuel on Mars? Now, the idea the researchers have is to use a concept of bioproduction and use the three things that are abundant on Mars, one of the few things that you do have a lot of on the surface of Mars. And that's carbon dioxide, sunlight, and frozen water. Now, these things are all abundant, more or less, on Mars, which means they're available for us to use. It still requires a lot of energy and effort to get them, but, you know, you can get at them. They're there. Now, how you convert this carbon dioxide into something useful, well, that's where you have to turn to some help from some bacteria friends. Now, cyanobacteria, algae, they are love taking carbon dioxide and turning that into something that we can use, sugars, enzymes. And that's what they've done. That's how we produced an atmosphere here on Earth all those billions of years ago. But if you took those cyanobacteria with you, you could expose them to the Martian sunlight and give them the CO2 in the Martian atmosphere, thin though it is, and these cyanobacteria could start producing for you something that's quite useful. Then you would need something else, maybe perhaps an engineered E. coli. Take that with you, get it the byproducts, all these sugars produced by the algae, and you could, through the combination of these two things, develop and produce propellants that could be used and burnt on the surface of Mars to launch your rocket back up. Now, this particular propellant that the researchers are proposing is called 2,3-butanidol. And the thing is, it exists here on Earth. This E. coli and algae mix is used to produce this 2,3-butanidol, and it's actually used to make polymers as a precursor material for the production of rubber in industrial processes here on Earth. And how the researchers intend to turn this into jet fuel relies on one of the very interesting facts about the Martian surface. If you approach Mars it's exactly the same way as you would approach Earth, you limit the range of choices you have. Because Mars isn't Earth. Mars is smaller. It has less gravity. And its atmosphere is also slightly different. That means that there's other alternative fuels that you could use as a propellant that just wouldn't be considered here on Earth because they're way too inefficient. But if you have a lot of CO2 in the Martian atmosphere rather than, say, nitrogen, well, maybe that starts to become a lot more attractive. That's what researchers like Associate Professor Wenting Sun pointed out. 2,3-butadenol has been around for a long time, but we never thought about it as a propellant. After analysis and preliminary study, we realised it's actually a good candidate. And that's because the Martian atmosphere has not much oxygen. So a lot of the techniques that you would rely on here on Earth that use oxygen or react with oxygen just aren't relevant. And you have that lower gravity and you need a lot less energy. So that's what researchers like Pamela Peralta-Yaha and others are trying to dive into, finding that right chemical mix that actually is best suited to the Martian atmosphere. Now, how would you actually produce with these enzymes and E. coli an actual fuel that you could be used on the Martian surface? This would rely on a technology which is called 
in-situ resource utilization with a biotechnology reactor. It's bio-ISRU strategy. And that would make both the propellants and the liquid oxygen from CO2 available on Mars. Now, the other good part about this process is as a byproduct, as a resultant waste product of this bioreaction process is it actually produces 44 tons of excess clean oxygen. So once you've finished making all your rocket fuel to escape, you get left over with a whole bunch of clean oxygen. And that's pretty good because, you know, if you're landing things on Mars, like say people, they probably also would want oxygen to breathe. So that in and of itself is a useful way to produce clean air to breathe and also a way to actually create the fuel that you need to escape and come back home. Now, the paper outlines a process which begins with ferrying plastic materials to the surface of Mars. These then get assembled into photobioreactors. In total size, you'd actually need quite a bit, around the size of four football fields. And these cyanobacteria would exist in the injectors, grow and grow using photosynthesis, and produce byproduct carbon dioxide and enzymes. These enzymes are then separated out in yet another reactor and broken down into sugars. Those sugars then pass through to another reactor where they're fed to the E. coli and the E. coli ferments in a broth, which you then strain off, strain off. But then the byproduct you get out of that is the propellant that you need. It's 2,3-butadenol. And this whole reactor strategy is very, very efficient. It uses about 32% less power than all other methods. And it has a downside, of course, that is that it weighs more, but it's actually a pretty good technique because once you have that infrastructure there, it's then producing fuel. And also, by the way, that oxygen that is pretty handy to have too. And that is an interesting approach. If you're serious about going to Mars and you're serious about coming back from Mars with people, then you need a way to produce fuel locally. Unlike the moon, which doesn't have a strong gravitational pull and you don't need as much fuel, for something like Mars, you really do have to consider how you can best generate the materials that you need to stay there for a while, oxygen, and also how to leave safely. And all of that will involve complicated chemistry, working together with aeronautical engineers, material scientists, to figure out the best ways to produce with what resources you have at hand, ways to survive, thrive, and even eventually leave the surface of Mars. Now, this paper was published in the journal Nature Communications. Lead author was Nicholas Crew, along with Ralph Sun, Gonzalez, and Pratiyaha. Producing fuel on Mars to launch yourself back to Earth is important, but traveling here on Earth also uses a lot of fuel. And that fuel, that jet fuel, when it's burnt, is normally petroleum-based. And that is a huge carbon dioxide emitter. In the United States, it's responsible for around 2.5% of all carbon dioxide emissions. That's just in the United States, and around 3.5% globally. So coming up with a way to produce jet fuel that is less carbon intensive is useful, but also jet fuel that doesn't produce a whole bunch of carbon dioxide as a byproduct would be even better. And that's where President Joe Biden had announced 
a large multi-agency project called the Sustainable Aviation Fuel Grand Challenge. And the goal here was to develop some form of sustainable aviation fuel that could be rolled out to existing fleets of commercial jetliners, airplanes, as well as military vehicles as well. And that would lead to around a 20% drop in aviation industry emissions by 2030. Not bad. And on track to get to a a zero carbon target for the whole aviation sector by 2050. Now that would need some transformative technologies in the form of potentially hydrogen, fuel cells, battery-based solutions. But in the meantime, in that short term, the way to get big bang for your buck, so to speak, is to substitute the very carbon intensive fuels with something else. And this is what researchers from University of Georgia have been diving into and publishing in the, the journal GCP Bioenergy. Now the authors on this paper were alum, Jose Masum and Tivedi. Now, these researchers were trying to come up with ways to work on and produce these sustainable fuel sources. And one of the obvious answers, it seems, instead of using a petroleum-based fuel, was to shift to a biofuel. Now, biofuels can come from a lot of sources, whether that be corn, canola, or other types of oils. And these researchers were focused on an oil obtained from the plant Brassica carinata, it's a non-edible oilseed crop, but one that actually is planted quite a lot in the south as a winter crop. They plant it effectively in the off-season, in the winter crop, whilst the other main production food crops aren't growing. And that's pretty good because it means that it's not a choice between food or fuel. And you see this with a lot of places growing corn for the production of ethanol rather than growing a food source because there might be tax incentives or otherwise to do so. And this kind of trade-off doesn't exist there. Because it's a winter crop, you basically get it's a win-win from a farming perspective to produce this kind of Tabrasca. Now, that's great, but how can you then turn that into a fuel that actually works and also isn't that cost ineffective to produce? And this is really the big issue. If you wanted to produce a biofuel, it costs a lot of money to process. And the processing is really the big issue. You have to crush it, you have to squeeze it, you have to filter it, and you have to go through the refining process steps. And not just crushing and processing the oil, but also understanding which types and varieties of the crop to plant to really boost that yield, to get more oil out of it rather than more plant. And these are all things that definitely can be considered and are actually actively being investigated right now by the Southeast Partnership for Advanced Renewables, as a program funded by the US Department of Agriculture. And the goal there is to try and really drop the production price per litre for these biofuels, these sustainable aviation fuels, SAFs. Because at the moment, to produce them can range from anywhere to 12 cents per litre all the way up to almost $1.30 per litre. Now, when I'm filling up at the petrol pump, that seems not bad, but you've got to keep in mind that the aviation-based normal pricing for fuel regular petroleum based is around 50 cents a litre. So that's more than two times the price and worst case scenario. And that's because the petroleum sector has a lot of built-in infrastructure and scale there. So to overcome this, it would make a lot of sense to scale it up, which is where big government stick programs, which can offer an incentive for people to develop is really helpful. But it's still a lot of work to be done. If countries like the United States and the rest of the world are serious about reducing emissions and reducing emissions from a big polluter like the aviation sector, then you really need a homegrown industry producing these fuels. 
And the reason why researchers in Georgia are so focused on it is because, well, they're already growing a good crop that can be made into a biofuel in their off-season, so it's not competing with growing for food, and it provides benefits to water quality, soil and health and pollination because it's a winter crop, not just a mono-season crop. So there's a lot of gains there for the environment and the farmers. But also, Georgia has one of the world's busiest airports and does a lot of freight. And Delta, one of the biggest airlines, is based in Georgia. So all of these things make the aviation sector pretty important for the state. And it's one of the six largest consumers of jet fuel in the country. So that's a good reason for this particular state to be focused on this issue. But across the world, there are plenty of other places that could also have attention drawn to it. Southeast Asia, planes are a pretty good way to jet around between all the various islands and countries. In a country like Australia, we need planes to travel the very long distances and to go overseas, literally, for both freight and for personal purposes. So tackling the aviation industry's emissions through the use of biofuels is a great thing. And it's great to see big government programs like the ones outlined, the Sustainable Aviation Fuel Grand Challenge, sort of offers an incentive for people and researchers to dive into that industry. But it requires still constant investment and focus from both scientists and industry itself to retool and reposition to help reduce emissions. It's a great study published in the paper GCB Bioenergy about a way a winter crop can really help a particular state like Georgia convert and make that transition with lessons that could be learned across the world. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Launching rockets off the surface of Mars will require fuel that hopefully we can grow there. And we can also clean up the aviation industry here on Earth by growing better biofuels for the aviation sector. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.